All right, well, let's go to God's Word as we're going to finish up our series today on the Old Testament book of Jonah. For those of you that are new with us inside your bulletin, you're going to find a note sheet that's going to help you better follow along with us. I'm going to begin with a question this morning, and it's this. What exactly is the book of Jonah about? Some would say, well, it's, it's about Jonah. It's about a prophet on the run from God, about a man who didn't want to go and preach to the people of Nineveh. So some people would say it's about Jonah. Others would say it's about a big fish. In fact, this is what Jonah's story is most known for, the big fish part, about how Jonah spent three days and three nights inside of a large fish and lived to tell the story. You can also make the case that the book is about Nineveh. It's the story how the most wicked city in the history of the world got saved. And while all those things are true, they're all subplots connected to a main plot. You see, the book of Jonah at its heart is about God's heart for lost people. That's what the book of Jonah is about. It's about his grace. It's about his mercy. It's about his steadfast love. It's about the lengths that God is willing to go to to save people from their sins. And if you look through the book of Jonah and think about everything that we've studied through the first three chapters, we've seen God working no matter what he's doing, no matter what's happening. We see people getting saved all through the book. Even through Jonah's rebellion, people are getting saved. Remember in Jonah chapter one, the the pagan mariners who were on that boat with Jonah, in 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 the beginning of chapter one, they're calling to their foreign gods. By the end, they're calling up to Jonah's gods. And by the end of that chapter, they get saved. God in his sovereignty ends up using the same storm that he sent to track down Jonah to bring those guys to salvation. Look at it. I want you to see this. Verse 14, chapter 1. So because of the storm, watch this. Therefore, talking about the mariners, they called out to the Lord. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the, what does it say? Lord, Lord, capital L, same Lord as Jonah, right? The men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Let me help you understand what that's saying. They got saved. That's what verse 16 is telling us. How's that for a testimony of how you got saved? In Jonah chapter 2, we see God save Jonah from his rebellion by way of a big fish. And I've already said this to you, and we've talked about it, that fish was God's grace in Jonah's life. It was sent not to pay him back, but to bring him back to God. After Jonah repents in the belly of the fish, we're told this in Jonah chapter 2, verse 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. That's Jonah's testimony about his salvation. And then in chapter 3, we see the wicked city of Nineveh get saved. And so what happens is Jonah finally obeys God. He goes to Nineveh, and he preaches a five-word sermon. In our English translation, it's eight words, but it's actually only five Hebrew words. And Jonah, here's what he preaches. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's all Jonah says. He says nothing about God's willingness to save them or about God's grace or about how they need to repent. He just says, hey, look, judgment is coming in 40 days. And here's what happens. The entire city of Nineveh repents, turns to God and gets saved. 
all of them. Look at it in verse 5, chapter 3. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast. We're talking here about repentance is what they're doing. And put on sackcloth for the, from the greatest of them to the least of them. What that's telling us is all of them. All of them got saved. It is the greatest revival in the history of the world. So I want you to think about all that God has done, how God has worked to save people in the book of Jonah. He sent the storm. He, he had Jonah thrown into the sea. He sent the big fish. He sent Jonah to preach to Nineveh. All the while, through all that, God is working to save people and bring them to a relationship with him throughout the first three chapters of the book. And what it shows you is just how big of a heart God has for lost people. There is no one that he won't reach out to. There is no way that he won't. I mean, he goes, uses all kind of various ways. There's no one that he won't track down in an effort to try and save them from their sin. So the book of Jonah at its heart, at its core, is about God's heart for lost people. And chapter four is no different. But with this focus. Chapter four is about God's desire for his people to have the same heart heart that he does for lost people. That's God's desire. Do you, do you understand that? God's desire is that you and I, as his children in this world, would have the very same heart for the lost that he does. Yes. Well, our buddy Jonah doesn't. And so what we find throughout chapter four is God having a heart-to-heart -heart with a very angry prophet that's mad at him for saving the people of Nineveh. And so in chapter 4, we find out where God's heart is at, we find out where Jonah's heart is at, and we also ultimately find out where God's heart for Jonah is still at. Let's go and pick up the story at the end of chapter 3, very last verse, verse 11, it says this, when God saw what they did, talking about the people of Nineveh, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now, I want you to understand, this was the greatest day that any prophet in the history of prophets has ever had. You see, a, a lot of times, if you read your Old Testament, here's what you're going to find. A lot of times when God sent his prophets to preach, no one got saved. In fact, there were even times when God told the prophet, like he did Isaiah, listen, I need somebody to go, but just know this, nobody's going to respond. Everybody's going to reject you, but who's willing to go? And Isaiah says, I'll go. There were times when they preached and nobody got saved. Often when the prophets of God would preach, they would be rejected, persecuted, and many times they would be martyred for their message. You say, why is that? Well, nobody likes to be told they're a sinner. Nothing's changed, right? Jonah goes to Nineveh and preaches a five-word sermon, and 120,000 people, the entire city, says yes to God. This is a day of ministry that a prophet could only dream about. I mean, you would think that Jonah would be doing cartwheels all the way back to Israel. You would think he'd be like getting his praise on. He'd be like, oh God, thank you for allowing me to be a part of this. This is absolutely amazing, but that's not what happens for Jonah. Look what we read at the beginning of chapter four, verse one. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry and he prayed to the Lord. Now, let me just stop there for a moment 
Because I think this is really interesting to me. If you look throughout the four chapters of the book of Jonah, Jonah only says two prayers in those four chapters. The first time was in the belly of the fish when he was in crisis. The second time is here when he's angry at God. Sounds like the prayer life of a lot of us, of a lot of us doesn't it? We only pray when we're in crisis or when we're upset or angry with God. That's Jonah. And can I tell you, that's a reflection of a person that doesn't have much of a heart for lost people because Jonah, all he can think about is himself. Well, let's move on. Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Oh, the drama for Jonah. <laughs> whole city got saved. He wants to die. Jonah's so angry, he'd rather die. And he tells us why. Look what it says. For I knew. Do you understand his worst fear had come true? When the people of Nineveh repented, God in his grace and mercy and steadfast love spared them from his judgment. Jonah would have rather God wiped them off the face of the planet. So you know what Jonah's got in his mind? It doesn't say it, but I know it. He's got Sodom and Gomorrah in his mind. Remember that story in Genesis? Those cities were so wicked, God set fire and brimstone, wiped them off the face of the earth. That's what Jonah wants to happen to the city of Nineveh. He would rather have the Ninevites spend all of eternity in hell than have to see them for all of eternity in heaven one day. This is the reason he ran from the word of the Lord to go to Nineveh in the first place. So, so understand, he wasn't afraid of losing his life in Nineveh. He was afraid God would save them. And that's exactly what happened. And now he's exceedingly angry about it. But, but why? Well, because Nineveh was, the Ninevites were Israel's greatest enemy at this time in history. The, the Ninevites had been the source of a lot of heartache and destruction against the Jewish people. When you go back and look historically, you find out it was the Ninevites who destroyed 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel. It was the Ninevites that terrorized not only the Jews, but all the surrounding nations with violence and genocide and unspeakable crimes against humanity. Not to mention their, their, their morals that they lived by were slowly working their way into Jewish culture. And you have to understand, Jonah was Israel's national prophet. He was all about being the moral policeman for God's people. So you have to understand, Jonah saw the Ninevites as the bad guys. And we all know what's supposed to happen to bad guys. We all go to the movies, right? What happens to the bad guys in the movies? They die. They get what they deserved. And that's what Jonah wants. He sees the violence. He sees the pain. He sees the unspeakable crimes against humanity. He sees the corrupt influence that this city has been on the world, and he wants them to pay for their crimes. He doesn't want God to save them. He wants God to destroy them. Jonah didn't have a heart for the Ninevites because he saw them as his enemy. 
So here's my question to you today. Who's your Nineveh? Who is it in your life? Who is it that's hurt you and the people you love? Who, who is it that you see as the enemy to the nation that you love? What group of people do you see as your enemy? Who is it that you think doesn't deserve God's grace? That's Jonah here in chapter 4. And I think if we were all totally honest this morning, it's very possible that a lot of us has a little bit of Jonah in our heart as well. You know what's really scary to me about Jonah is he had really good theology. He knew his Bible well. In fact, his complaint here to God, when he, do you understand his complaint here? He's actually quoting scripture. He's quoting Exodus chapter 34 when he says, for I knew, and here's what he's quoting, that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He knows his Bible well. He knows it inside and out. And, and, and that's scary because you can know all about God. You can have all the right answers. You could be a worshiper of God. You could do a lot of things for him and still have a heart that's far away from him. That's Jonah. Now, at this point, if I'm God, let me tell you what I'm doing. I'm like, you know what, Jonah? Forget about you. I mean, I'll just find someone else to be my prophet. But God is gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And so God, in his love for Jonah, needs to deal with his heart about this issue. Because if Jonah doesn't get this straight, he's not going to be very usable to God. Nor will he ever be spiritually healthy when it comes to his relationship with God or other people. And so in an effort to deal with Jonah's bad heart about lost people, God does three things. And we're going to look at those three things as we work our way through the rest of this chapter. Let's talk about the first thing that God does. The first thing that God does in trying to deal with Jonah's bad heart about lost people, the first thing God does is he challenges Jonah's pride. That's what's at the root of Jonah's anger about the Ninevite people. Go back to verse 2 for a moment. I saw this in my study this week, and I find it interesting. Look at this. And he prayed to the Lord and said... Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Now, let me ask you a question. Who is the main focus in that prayer? Jonah is, right? I did this, and I did that, and this is why I did that. Here's the thing about pride, and I have it in your notes. Pride thinks it has something to teach God. Hey, God, let me tell you a few things. I mean, he's the God of the universe, right? Hey, God, let me explain to you why you don't get this. Not only is just Jonah's pride have a few things to teach God, but number two, pride justifies why it doesn't obey God. God, God, let me tell you why I fled to Tarshish. This is why I didn't want to obey you. And there's a third thing that pride does, and it's this. Pride thinks it can earn God's grace. Now, there's a word for this. What pride produces, it's called self-righteousness. I mean, Jonah, his thinking is, well, the people of Nineveh, 
They're pretty bad. They don't deserve God's grace. They've sinned too much. They've gone too, too far. They're not so savable. Now, Jonah doesn't think that about himself. He studied the word of God. He preaches the word of God in all kinds of places. He does things for God. He knows he's not perfect, but he's good, right? So he thinks he's deserving of God's grace. Can I tell you, sometimes that can happen to the best of us Christians. When you spend a lot of time serving God and learning his word and knowing all the answers and obeying him in a lot of areas of your life and experiencing the blessings that come with that, a lot of times what can happen is pride can slip in thinking us thinking that we're more deserving of God's grace than others. That's Jonah, right? Pride is at the root of his anger, and that's what God goes after. Look at it here in Jonah chapter 4, verse 4. Look how the Lord responds. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? You say, well, what is God talking about? Let me help you understand what God is saying with that question. He's saying, remember Jonah? Do you remember, Jonah, how you turn your back on me? Do you remember, Jonah, how you disobeyed me and tried to run from me, but how you found out that because I am a gracious and compassionate God, steadfast in love, who is slow to anger, that you couldn't outrun my grace? Remember, Jonah, how you gave up on me, but I never gave up on you? In fact, I sent the storm to stop you. I provided the fish to save you. You remember how in that fish you repented and by way of my grace, I forgave you and saved you? You couldn't save yourself in that fish? Do you remember, Jonah, how I even gave you back your job as a prophet for me? Jonah, in light of the grace that I've just shown you, do you really have a right to be angry? Do you know what the answer to that question is? (laughs) No. He doesn't have a right to be angry because inside that fish, Jonah couldn't save himself, yet God in his grace saved him. Same with the Ninevites. Their wickedness deserved death. They couldn't save themselves, yet God, by his grace, saved them too. Do you understand? Jonah was saved by this very same grace that the Ninevites were saved by. You see, Jonah is failing to realize something that the Bible teaches us all throughout its pages. Let me, let me take you to one of these places, Romans chapter 3. Paul writes this, verse 10. As the scripture says, now he's quoting the Old Testament here. Look at this. No one. Everybody say no one. No. Turn to the person next to you and say no one. No. Tell them not even you. Amen. Tell them I know you think you're good, but no. <laughs> no one is righteous. Not even one. Oh, there's got to be one. Not even one. You go to verse 23, and this is the famous verse we know. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And because of that, the only thing that can save us, are you ready for this, is the grace of God. Verse 24, yet God in his grace. And then it goes on to tell us why he can give us grace. 
freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins by the shed blood of Christ. You see, the, the Bible doesn't teach that there are good people and bad people. See, that's what, that's what our society teaches. That's what a lot of us believe. We're always making comparisons. We're like, well, these are the good people and these are the bad people. And, you know, these are the, you know, and we all grade ourselves on a curve, right? We always put ourselves in the good people most of the time. And so we make these lists all the time. We look at society. We watch the news. You could turn on two different networks and see two different lists at work, right? The Bible doesn't teach that there are good people and bad people. The Bible teaches us there are bad people and a good God. And God in his gracious and steadfast love desires to save all bad people, to save all sinners if they will run to him in faith. Pride is what's keeping Jonah from fully entering into God's mission to save lost people. And so Jonah, do you really think you have a right to be angry? Well, Jonah still thinks he does. How many know that pride does not loosen its grip on your heart very easily? It, it, it holds on tight. And so the next thing that God does in an effort to deal with Jonah's bad heart for lost people is he confiscates Jonah's comfort. Look at Jonah chapter 4, verse 5. It says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city, and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade. Everybody see that? Till he should see what would become of the city. Now, let me, let me take you back to chapter 3 for a moment so you can get the scene of what, what, what Jonah's thinking here. Remember, Jonah told them, <laughs> God says 40 days and Nineveh's going to be destroyed. Nineveh's going to be overthrown. And so here is Jonah sitting to the east of the city with his eyes in the city. He builds this, this, this booth to give him shade, to make himself comfortable uh, out of the hot hun, sun. And, and Jonah's hoping that Nineveh's repentance doesn't stick. He's hoping it wasn't real. He's hoping that God is going to destroy them anyway. And so what he does is he sets up his booth, he's under shade, and he looks at his stopwatch and he goes, okay, 40 days, and he's waiting for fire to rain down from heaven. He is totally unsympathetic to the people that he just led to God. How tragic is that, right? And what a missed opportunity this is. And you say, well, why would you say that? Well, listen, there are hundreds of thousands of people in Nineveh that just said yes to following God. They want to serve him. They want to know more about him. I mean, think about all the people that need to be discipled. Think about all the people who need to be taught how to live a life that glorifies God. Think about all the people with all the hurts and struggles and baggage from all the, all the, all the gook in that city over the years that need to be ministered to. Think about all the people who need to know more about God than just 40 days. And you'll be overthrown. And where is Jonah? sitting in the comfort of shade outside a city filled with new believers. Jonah's comfort is causing him to miss out on an opportunity that God has strategically placed him to take advantage of. Mainly pouring into investing in the lives of other people for God. 
But Jonah has made it all about his comfort. He's made it all about his preferences and about what he would rather do. What's best for him? Jonah, in a nutshell, made it about Jonah. And it's a big factor in why he doesn't have a heart for lost people. And so God's trying to deal with that heart. And so look what God does with Jonah. Look at verse 6. Now the Lord, watch this. The Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Now think about this. This is the very first time in the book of Jonah that Jonah is happy about anything. He's a miserable prophet, right? Jonah's not happy when God calls him to go to Nineveh. He's not happy on the boat. He's not happy in the sea. He's not happy inside the fish. He's not happy preaching for three days in Nineveh. He's not happy sitting outside the city walls watching what will happen. But he's now very happy about the plant that God appointed to give him comfort. Oh, yes, he likes the plant. Why? Because Jonah is much more committed to Jonah's personal comfort than anything God asked him to do. He's much more committed to his comfort than he is reaching and discipling lost people. And so God confiscates his comfort. Look at verse 7. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Interesting, right? Did you notice all the things that God appoints in the book of Jonah? God appointed Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah ran. God appointed the storm. God appointed that the lot would fall on Jonah. God appointed the big fish, right? God appointed the, the plant, and now God has appointed a worm, and God now has appointed a scorching east wind. And in, think you, and in case you think God is doing something mean here, no, it's all about lost people, and it's all about his, his heart for lost people, and it's all about his heart for Jonah as well. You know what's ironic about this story? Do you know where Jonah could have gotten all the shade he wanted? In Nineveh. I mean, think about that. The king of Nineveh is into repentance. He would have gladly given the prophet Jonah the biggest room in the palace to do ministry out of. The taking away of Jonah's comfort is meant to show him just how far his heart is from where God's heart is is for people. Because Jonah's more concerned about the temporary comforts of life than he is about lost people. Can I tell you, this is why so many Christians bear little to no fruit when it comes to the mission of God in the world to save lost people. Because they're more concerned about their comfort than they are reaching lost people people. This is why I think sometimes Christians don't get it. I think sometimes when we think about bearing fruit, 
we only think about what kind of vine could God provide for me? If, if I go to church and I do this, maybe God will make this vine grow and this vine in my life hasn't been real good, so I need God to add a little fertilizer. And, and we all want God to bear fruit, but we fail to realize the reason that God wants you to bear fruit is for that fruit to be consumed. There's no point in fruit that rots. God wants to bear fruit in your life for other people to consume that will nourish them and bring Jesus to them. This explains to you something. I, I, I believe this with all my heart. This explains why this church is, is growing. I, I think this church has a, a relentless, we're not a perfect church, but it has a relentless pursuit that, that we're going to go where, the, where Nineveh is. And, and we're willing to do whatever we need to do to continue to reach lost people. If we've got to add a service, we add a service. If we've got to park across the street, we've got to park across the street. If we've got to buy three more sets of rolling curtains down there because we've got so many kids, that's what we've got to do. <laughs> I believe this is one of the reasons why God has been blessing this church. But don't, don't, don't mistake me. We lose that heart. We'll lose God's blessing for what he wants to do. This also explains, and I know I'm talking to the choir this morning, but this also explains why you hear people often come here and get an attitude when we talk about things like finding a place to serve. Oh, they're asking for more help and volunteers. And, you know, I, I, it's about lost people. It's about lost people. Do you understand who's coming through these doors on a weekly basis? People from Nineveh. This is why we ask you to find a place to serve. Because it's not just about you and your vine. It's about God producing fruit through you to grow vines that bear more fruit in other people's lives. This is why people get, you know, they, they get attitudes about. You know, they're always badgering us about groups. And, you know, what? I don't, you know, don't want to go to group because, you know, I don't want to have to deal with people. And, and you know what you're saying? I've, it's all about me. That's what you're saying. That's not the reason you should not be a part of a group. You need to grow up and stop being like Jonah. Because there are people from Nineveh that need you in their life. This, this is why people get, get bent out of shape when pastor talks about giving. Oh, here he goes. He's going to talk about tithing. He's going to talk about giving. Listen, nobody at this church is getting rich, I promise you. In fact, can I, can I tell you this? Some of you don't know this, and I'm just going to say it. I, I require our staff to, to, to turn in hours of what they've done. And, and, and last week, your youth pastor worked almost 70 hours. That's normal. Nobody, and he's probably making like $350 an hour. I don't say that to say boo-hoo. I, I, I say that is because when you give, do you understand we're not banking that money. We're turning it into tools to minister into the life of people who are from Nineveh. Yes. I, I think this is a good recalibration moment. Some of you, listen, I want to thank some of you. You've been serving and you've been plugging away in areas of the church and you are stinking tired. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, because it's because of your willingness to get uncomfortable, to come early, to stay late, to give of your time. It's the reason and the foundation that God is able to minister to people from Nineveh that walk into this place. 
Do you understand this is what the new church building is about? By the way, we are this close to our permits being finished. This close? It's been a grueling process. Hopefully we're moving dirt here in the next week or two. Do you understand? There's a, there's a mentality, I think, for our church sometimes that goes, well, when we get in that new church building, we won't have to work as hard. <laughs> hey, I got news for you. When we get in that new building, we're going to have to work harder. Yeah. Because to whom much is given, much is required. I say all this not to put a guilt trip on anybody. I say this, let's remember what we're doing here. And let's remember, it's not just about our vine. It's about the fruit that is meant to be given away to grow other people's vines in the Lord. You see, when we make it all about us and our comfort, we miss the opportunity that God has placed before us. Listen, there are, there are, there's Nineveh all around you. There's Nineveh in your neighborhood. There's Nineveh at your job. And God has strategically placed you where he's placed you. And he wants you to have his heart for people where he's placed you. Well, God confiscates Jonah's comfort and he still doesn't get it. He still thinks it's about him. And so one last attempt that God makes to change Jonah's heart, the last thing he does is he tries to change Jonah's perspective. What is Jonah going to say to God now? Look at this, verse 9. But God said to Jonah, once again, second time, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Let me help you understand what God's saying. Jonah, it's a plant. They grow, they die, they wither. They come and go every season. It's just a plant, Jonah. It's just something temporary that you're so upset about. And look at Jonah's response. And he said, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And in verse 10, it says this, and the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor. It was by God's grace, right? Nor did you make it grow. It was by God's grace, right? Which came into being in the night and perished in a night. Here's the point, Jonah. And you should, and should not I pity that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and so much cattle? I mean, I know you don't like the people, but maybe you can at least care for the cattle that would be wiped out. I mean, have a heart, Jonah. And I love that point. You know, you know, you know what God's telling him there? These people are just doing what sinful people do. They don't know any better. They're doing what their hurts have told them to do. They're telling what their disappointments have done, told them to do. They're following the ways of the world. They don't know their left from their right. Should I not care about them? Look at the next verse. How does Jonah respond? There is no next verse. That's how the story ends. I think there's a reason in God's sovereignty that he inspired it this way. Because it's not so important how Jonah answered. How are you going to answer? It's, it's a question for all of us. 
I believe that Jonah responded. I can't prove that. You say, what would be your proof? I, I, I think that he wrote this after, if he did indeed write it. And even the prayer of repentance is looking back and looking at the whole story of what God did. I think it's very possible that Jonah repented, but we don't, we don't know where his heart ended up. See, Jonah's problem was the same problem that was Israel's problem throughout its history, right? God, by his grace, created a nation out of nothing. He gave them all kind of advantages. He gave them the law. He gave them the prophets. And instead of letting that be something that would help them reach the lost, they became very prideful about it. And they became very self-righteous and thought they were better than everybody else. And by the time you get to the time of Jesus, this is Jesus' problem with Israel. It had no heart for the Nineveh of the world. But that's not God's heart. For God so loved the world that he was willing to get out of his comfort. He left perfect heaven, right? He put on human skin. He walked among us. He lived among us. He dealt with the gook and the mess that is us. A lot of people are like, I don't want to minister to people because they're a mess. Welcome to the heart of God. People from Nineveh, people from heaven, this side of eternity, are a mess. Get over it get over yourself and allow the Lord to use you in the mess because that's where God works do you realize all throughout Jonah he's working in the mess of the storm he's working in the mess of the fish he's working in the mess of Nineveh don't expect for God to put you in a place where there's no mess because that's where God is not because he puts himself in the mess of lives of people that need him most amen Here's the deal. God loves Nineveh more than you can imagine. He still loves Nineveh. Here's the, here's the other thing I want you to understand. God is still do, willing to do whatever it takes to get you to Nineveh. Think about this. He's the God of the vine, but he's also the God of the worms. I'm not saying God purposely is. God, God does not do evil, but he will allow things in your life. And if you ever looked in your life and you were like, God, I don't get it and I don't understand. And so many Christians get hung up there and, and they're angry at God and they pout and I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to do that. Instead of that, maybe the answer needs to be, God, I don't understand. And, and sometimes a worm comes into your life and it has nothing to do with your rebellion. It's just that a worm showed up and you don't know how it showed up and it's there. And instead of complaining, what you can do is say, oh God, I don't know and this is hard, but I'm going to allow this to glorify you somehow in my life. Because what this does is it gets me to Nineveh. It gets me in the shoes of people that need you, and my heart becomes less self-righteous and more tender to people that need you. Because you know what? I've walked in their shoes. God's willing to do anything. Whatever it takes to get you to Nineveh. You know why? Because Nineveh needs you. Because Nineveh needs God. And God works through his people to accomplish what he has accomplished in this world. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Who's your Nineveh? Is it getting in the way of your heart for lost people? You're saved by the same grace that they need to be saved by. 
For some of us, the reason we're not good at, at, at seeing a lost world is we've been watching too much news and, and we've been watching so much stuff that we're, we're too busy trying to figure out what person fits on what side and what category, not realizing that all of them need Jesus. Some of us, Christianity is just too self-focused. It's just too much about us. And we wonder why we're confused and we, we don't get it. Listen, God has purposes and plans for your life like just like he does Jonah. And until you realize that you won't get the Christian walk. So if there is a place in you that is a little bit like Jonah, would you give it to the Lord right now? Say, Lord, I recognize my pride, my comfort, my perspective has all been wrong. And so, Lord, I submit it to you. I pray that you would do a work in my heart. Make me more tender than I've ever been to see the Ninevehs around me, to see the Nineveh in my town, to see the Nineveh in my church. Help me to have the heart that you do for lost people. Lord, we ultimately say thank you this morning for your heart for us. You're not afraid of the mess that we are. You're not afraid to get involved. You're not afraid to give us the Holy Spirit even though we're, we're still flawed and still broken when it comes to our flesh. Thank you for being involved in our mess. Being a gracious God, merciful, steadfast in your love for us. Thank you for loving us. Help us to love other people the same way. Lord, we give you all the praise and we give you all the glory. In the name of Jesus, we all said together, amen, amen, amen. So that's Jonah. You say, Pastor, what, what, what are we going to do next? We're going to get into end times. So we're going to talk about how things are going to unfold as Christ comes back, what's going to happen. And, and I think this is really important because you need to know, first of all, end times teaches us what the gospel, what the gospel is. But it also teaches you to have hope about what's going to happen. And it also helps you understand what's going on in the world. Some of you are like, I don't understand what's going on in the world. End times will help you understand it. We're moving towards the return of Christ. Somebody say, how long are we going to be in this series? All the way to Christmas. Okay, so you don't want to miss it. It's going to be a powerful time. You're going to learn a lot of things. I'm going to ask our prayer partners if they'd go ahead and come up here. If you have a need in your life, whatever it may be, we'd love to pray over you. Ask the Lord to work in your life. So if you need prayer, everybody stand. Go ahead and stand up. Get you on your feet. If you need prayer, come on down. We'd love to pray for you. The rest of you, God bless you. Have a great Sunday. Go be God in the world of Nineveh. Amen. Jesus from the mountain. Jesus in the street.